Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Thank you for your support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. This is a very, very special podcast for me today because, technically speaking, it's my last podcast in this office on the 24th floor because, for those of you who don't know this, they're blowing apart this floor because apparently there's asbestos that is contained in the walls that has been contaminating all of us for years and we're going to have the, the good news is we're going to have an amazing amazing lawsuit where we will make tons of money the bad news is we will all be dead before we actualize the money so that's a bad news but anyway so they're moving everybody well they're trying to move everybody out of here and they gave us a date to move out by a certain time and i'm actually moving out early because there's no space available in this building and i have to be in this building so i'm going to be moving to a new space in the building that i'm going to enjoy very much but this is the last one and i'm really really happy that my last podcast here is with a man that I have an enormous amount of respect for that we're interviewing today, and that is John Sally, or should I say four-time NBA world champion John Sally. Thank you for the correction. Four NBA championships. Let me tell you something, people. I haven't even been nominated for a Webby. Okay, <laughs> I have uh, I got nothing. I got nothing going on here at all. But it's also special today because I, for the first time in my life, I've brought my two sons here, Asher and Zion, to witness the podcast. 
and to hang out, which is a really special thing. I hope that they can get through it because normally when they listen to the sound of my voice, they run in different directions with iPods and iPads and all kinds of digital devices and don't want to hear my voice at all. But if they can stand through a little bit of this, I think we'll be in good shape. And also your daughter, Taya, with no L, is here, who is a very, very beautiful, beautiful young woman who is 12 years old and literally is 5 foot 11. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what happened. But uh, it's, it's incredible, and you're really, really special, and you have a lot of charisma, and I'm glad you're here to represent the Sally household. And I have all the producers here in it as well. And I want to thank you all so much for listening and being supportive to the podcast and all the emails and letters and FedExes and all kinds of things. I really, really appreciate it. It's wonderful. Also, if you just happen to want to buy something on Amazon and you feel like it, just go to the website, barrycats.com slash podcast. Press the Amazon banner. They've been wonderful to me. You buy something on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything. And they give a little bit of money to the Asher and Zion College Fund. It's amazing. It's incredible. It goes directly there. It's beautiful. And thank you for that. But as you know, with this podcast, what I normally do is start off with a cold open where I just look at my guest. And to me, I actually think of something that I want to say regarding that person and how it relates to the world. And as I look at John Sally, and he's, he's looking at me like he wants to kill me. But I look at John Sally and I think to myself, this guy has two qualities that I think has made him the person he is today and the world champion that he's been multiple, multiple, multiple times. And in my mind, I think of something Carol Leifer, a great writer, comedian, showrunner, said one time on the podcast when she asked Jerry Seinfeld, and Larry David, why they hired her instead of all these amazingly great writers. And they said, because, Carol, you're an easy hang. And when I think of John Sally, I think of two things. A guy who's an easy hang, a guy who people love to be around, and a guy who's talented and who has an amazing work ethic to be the best he possibly can be. And so many people think, like in the NBA, well, God, if you can just find somebody who's six foot 11 or seven feet tall, they're automatically gonna play. They're automatically gonna make it. Well, that's not the case. And there's hundreds and thousands of people who are tall who never make it in the NBA. It takes an incredible work ethic. And so I think when I look across from John Sally, the people that he's worked with in his career. Now, I work with my side of the business, some great people. But when I think of John Sally, I think of the people that I believe were in a position of power to say, we'd like this guy on our team or we wouldn't like this guy on our team. You know, like LeBron James is like a, literally a general manager, a coach, a player, an owner. Even though he's not, he holds none of those titles. But I guarantee you, if he doesn't want somebody on the team, they're gone. And if he wants somebody on the team, they're there. And you have to believe that when John Sally was working in the NBA, 
you have to believe that if Michael Jordan didn't want him on the team, he wouldn't be on the team. If Isaiah Thomas felt that John Sally wasn't an easy hang and wasn't talented and didn't have a good work ethic, he wouldn't be on the team. You have to believe that Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe, on the verge of three championships in a row, might have said to Jerry Buss, you know, this guy, you know, we can't, we can't be around this guy anymore. But they didn't, and they didn't because John Sally, whether he wants to admit it or not, had amazing work ethic. And my son Asher just pointed out something to me, sitting next to Zion, that he saw a T-shirt the other day. And on the T-shirt, it said, nobody trains to be a backup. And John Sally, you get the feeling when you're sitting across from him that he wasn't training in college and he wasn't working in the NBA to become a backup. He wasn't working to become a guy who was going to be in a situation where he wanted to play on teams that weren't winners. All he wanted to do was win. He had the desire to win, the fortitude to win, the mental toughness to win, but also to navigate between all the personalities on the team because you know there's people on every team that poke at you, that say those things to you, that are sarcastic, that try to get in your head, to try to knock you off your game so you don't get the kind of minutes that they get. They want to figure out ways to take you out of your game, take you in, not just players on the other team, players on your own team. And the fact is, as I say to my sons all the time when they're in school or when they're with each other and not getting along, I say, hey, guess what? You don't want your brother on your team? Well, what happens when you make your high school team or your college team, your pro team? There's always going to be people around that are trying to make your life miserable in their own little way some are all nice and kind hey john how you doing good to see you buddy god have a great day and then they're walking away in their mind saying i'm going to take that guy out i'm going to take his minutes i'm going to figure out a way to get him out of here so i can have his job and that's the way it works so when i look at john sally i look at a guy incredible work ethic a leader of men and women able to navigate as a follower when he had to, but also able to navigate as a leader. And a guy who was an easy hang and a guy who had the desire to win, a man who always wanted to be a champion and fulfilled that goal four times. And when I say four times, he did it three times with three different teams, which was unprecedented. He did it in three different decades which now only one other person has done, and that's Tim Duncan, who will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So the lesson here in my mind, in any profession that you're in, in any situation you're in, what do you have to do to get to the next level in whatever profession you're doing out there in the world? Well, you can't be an asshole. Because if you're an asshole, nobody wants assholes around them. Nobody wants to work with people who are bad people. I don't care how talented they are. Yes, there's examples in our business of people who were bad people. But unfortunately for those networks and those studio executives and those writers, they were the lead of their own sitcoms. 
And once they got the number one, America never knew how bad they were to other people. All America knew is what they saw, and the money was too great for the networks to pull the plug on them. So they had to deal with it. So when you're talking about shows like Roseanne with Roseanne Barr, you're talking about Tom Werner and Marcy Carcy who produced the show and gave her the opportunity. They weren't allowed on the set anymore. They went through a hundred different writers, but America saw her as somebody who they loved. And when I meet her, I love her, thank God. But for other people, it was difficult. But in the NBA, when you're dealing with a roster of 12, 14 people, maybe 15, you can't afford to get where you're going if you're a bad person. Same in a small company, even a large company. They will take you out. If you want to get a job in an agency as an assistant and you are bad or you do something wrong, you're gone. You're fired the next day because they have a thousand people waiting to take your job. Your work ethic. Make sure that your work ethic is strong. Make sure you work harder than every single person you're around. I tell my sons all the time, they're at school. I say, how are you doing in school? I'm doing okay. Well, okay isn't going to get you where you want to go. Well, I'm doing very good. Well, very good isn't going to get you where you're going to go. You have to figure out a way to be better than everybody else, and you have to figure out how to outwork everybody else because everybody there is trying to get to the next level before you. And it's the difference between you going to a community college and working your town mowing lawns and doing what you want to do and doing a special, extraordinary job at it. So as I look at John Sally. That's the message. If you do all those things and you figure out how to accomplish all those things, get to work before everybody else. Leave after everybody else is gone. Remember the Larry Bird story? I'm sure maybe John does. Maybe you don't know it. After every game, what did Larry Bird do? Did he put on his clothes and go home? No. He put on his shorts again or a clean pair of shorts. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he wore the same shorts. Went back out on the court made himself hit 100 free throws before he let himself go home. Clang number 99 had to start all over again. That's how you get where you want to go. And so all of you, that's the message. Work harder than everybody else. Get there earlier than everybody else. Be a great person and a great hang. And believe me, you'll have the kind of career in your profession that John Sally had in his here we go in three, two. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. Infections caused by jacuzzi water. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. Okay, here we go. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! People on Twitter have been asking for Barry Katz to come back a lot. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Here we go. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Undeniable. Creating holy shit moments. I love this man. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, 
or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Cash card. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, and somebody taller than me, John Sally. I'm very excited about today. I've known John for a long, long time, and he means a lot to me as a person. He is one of the most amazing people you will ever meet, not just a professional basketball player in his own right, but has a whole nother career in television and film. Uh, that we'll talk about as well. But as always, I have to give him the proper introduction, and after the cold open, we'll wake him up and we'll do this podcast. Most can achieve a goal and be pleasantly satisfied with the results, but to continually create new tasks to accomplish and to reinvent yourself is the mark of a versatile and motivated individual. It is the definition of a father, athlete, actor, entrepreneur, talk show host, philanthropist, wellness advocate, vegan, and champion by the name of John Sally. He is a proud native of Brooklyn, New York. He found a love for basketball in early age and he accepted a scholarship to Georgia Tech to play for the legendary head coach Bobby Kremens. From there, Sally went on to become a 15-year NBA veteran and was the first NBA player to win four championships with three different teams. During the 80s, Sally was a member of the Detroit Pistons Bad Boys squad. Sally went on to Chicago playing with Michael Jordan as part of the Bulls' 1996 championship team. And in 1999, Phil Jackson invited Sally to come to Los Angeles to provide experience and leadership to the 1999-2000 Lakers championship team. After his retirement from the NBA in 2000, Sally explored several opportunities in both television and film. His film credits include Bad Boys 1 and 2, Eddie and Jerry Bruckheimer's Confessions of a Shopaholic. John has served as host for numerous award shows and was also the host of the John Sally Block Party on 100.3, the Beat Morning Show in Los Angeles. He recently hosts the reunion shows of VH1's number one rated show, Basketball Wives. He spent seven years serving as the co-host for the Emmy-nominated, critically acclaimed Best Damn Sports Show period on Fox Sports Net. He was also the host of the sports talk show Ballers on BET. John also is the head of his own production company, John Sally Presents, Inc., where he used his uncanny ability to find unique and interesting people and projects for television, film, and Internet. About four years ago until now, John hosted his own talk show, Game On, airing on the Reels channel. In addition, John was also a co-host of The Car Show, airing on Speed Channel. He has also been the MC for numerous corporate and charity events. He's actively involved with Operation Smile, PETA, and the fight against diabetes. 
In addition, John is involved with PCRM and visited Washington speaking to Congress about the Child Nutrition Act, asking members to support legislation that would increase vegetarian options in meals served in public schools. John adopted a plant-based raw vegan lifestyle and is a frequent speaker at VegFest across the USA. As a wellness advocate, one of John's main missions in life is to continue to educate people on the benefits of living a healthier lifestyle through better eating habits. With a passion for real food, wine, and spirits, John is a partner in the label Vegan Vine in partnership with Colachance Winery. John has contributed articles to Wine Spectator, Cigar Aficionado, and LA Confidential. Ladies and gentlemen, four-time world champion, the man, the myth, the legend, somebody I'm excited to talk after 17 hours of words from me. <laughs> Please welcome my guest today, a John Sally. Thank you, man. That was a unbelievable. I didn't. I, I've never heard my bio. That's a trip. I did a lot of stuff, man. I was wondering why I was so tired. <laughs> I do so much, uh, but thanks, man. And you know, it's funny. You were speaking about Larry Bird. Larry Bird was my favorite player. I was a Celtic fan growing up, and then um, I, Red Auerbach told me he was going to choose me. And then when the draft came, I'm ready to be the number two pick. Wait a second. Choose Red Auerbach told yeah. you where. Well, I've, I've been, I work with the Celtics every summer since I was a sophomore in college. So that's how they do it. They, they invite you to camp to be a counselor, which you never work. You just play against the, the vet, uh, against the vets and the free agents they bring over. So I have a huge camp just to watch players. You, you play like two pickup, three pickup games a night. But how does each player decide which team they go to? They don't. They don't. What, he, what Red did is he has you come in and they watch the players. Now, for those of you who don't know, Red Auerbach was one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, mm -hmm. only eclipsed by Phil Jackson in championships. And he was very famous for starting lighting a victory cigar right. when he thought that the was game a, was in hand. While the game was going on. And he on. was also a general manager <laughs> of the Celtics as well. Yeah, yeah and this is a, a thing because, you know, I always joke with you with the racist jokes because I know they, they, they twinge you a little bit, so that's why I do them. Um, but Red was the first person to hire a black coach. So he hired Bill Russell to be a black coach, and he had the first almost all-black team because the Celtics had, like, one white guy on it. Tom Hines uh, yeah, and Bob would, Cousy. And Cousy at that time. And uh, so I was a big Celtic fan because I grew up in New York and everybody was a Nick fan. They kept losing. And you liked white people. I love white folks, you know what I'm saying? They just don't, you know, they're just less crazy now than they used to be. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so I like. Uh, and and I he had me come in and he had me and Lenny and he took Lenny Bias, which I thought was a great pick. Okay, so um, wait, Len Bias and you right. were in the same year. Yeah, so Len Bias and I have been together since we were 16. Me, Lenny, and Johnny Dawkins decided we were going to play in the same team. Uh, okay, now this is very important, yeah. everybody. For those of you who don't know, okay, Len Bias was a great player out of Maryland, okay? And if you don't remember, and if this is before your time, this lets you know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do right. in every profession. Len Bias died of a, a cocaine overdose, I believe it was the, the night, night the after he, or the night of that he was chosen the draft, yeah. by the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened is he had no body fat, and uh, this dope dealer was like, we gotta celebrate, we gotta celebrate. And he was like, do one line. And he was like, I, you know, Lenny didn't get high. And I can tell you didn't get high because we were Playboy All-Americans together, and we were watching guys drink. And he kept thinking, 
these guys drink. Like, they're doing that to his body. He's like, that's all we talked about is how he said, I'm going to destroy these guys. If I ever play against him, I know what to do. And then he snorted one line of cocaine, and his heart exploded. And uh, he died instantly. So it, I went to the Detroit that night, which I thought he should have maybe gone to um, – to Boston. Let's talk about the draft for a second. Do you oh, remember yeah. the draft oh, yeah. like it was yesterday? So tell me the first picks until you got picked and okay. tell me the team. So the year before I was picked, I was chosen in the papers. Everybody said I was a number one pick, but they started triple teaming and double teaming. My stock fell. Then I went to Hawaii, uh, which is the, the top 50 players, and I won MVP, so my stock uh, had risen again. Dennis Rodman was on my team in Hawaii. What the, year was this? 1986. And the last thing I said to Dennis to see you in the league, didn't know we were going to be teammates. Um, and we we get to the draft. The first pick was um, was Darty to Cleveland. Yes, uh, uh, then Len Bias. Then Len Bias to Celtics. Then it was Chris Washburn. Uh, he was a drug addict. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he, he got, and number four pick was Chuck Person. Number fifth pick was um, Ken uh, was uh, Skywalker, Kenny Skywalker to the Knicks. <laughs> then it was Roy Topley. Then it was William Beffert. Then it was Ron Harper. Then Brad Sellers slipped in. I thought I said if I'm not going to Boston, I'm going to Chicago because they brought me in three times. It took Brad Sellers. I was pissed. And then uh, number ten was Johnny Dawkins. And then I was number eleven. But in my brain, this is so funny, you were talking about being the best person, right? In my brain, all I kept saying is every one of the top ten the teams that went before me, every time I play against them, I'm going to show them they made the wrong pick. <laughs> I was, and, and especially with Brad Sellers. And Brad Sellers became a pseudo friend and a, and a teammate. But he knew like, I would talk so with smack when I got to Chicago. I was like, if they put me in the game, I'm going for 40 because there's <laughs> no one guarding me. They said, I said, if they put Brad Sellers in, I might get 50. And I would say things like that before the game. So you get drafted by Detroit, and you're, the, the people on your team uh, in 1987 are, uh, are the people of note, are Bill Lambeer, Isaiah Thomas, um, Adrian, Dantley. Adrian Dantley. Joe Dumas. Joe Dumas. Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn. Sid Green. Joe Dumas. Man. I mean, I got beat up like the second day of training camp. Uh, you got beat up, physically literally. beat up? Yeah, like, you know, back then you were allowed to hit people. <laughs> so I uh, I tried to break up a fight between two adults. One kicked me in the leg and one punched me in the chin and told me don't get in between grown folks' um, <laughs> conversations. <laughs> So I put a mouthpiece in, and I've never, ever, if you ever see a fight ever, I do not get in the middle of fights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting sucker punched again. But I had, I had, and, and it was a trip when you talk about uh, the thought process, because my daughter's an athlete. So my, my daughter, Tay, is here, is the best athlete in my family. Now, are you allowed to say that? Well, everybody that sees her and knows her, no one disagrees. Oh. She has she has a cousin named Chandler who is going to be a great volleyball player. Do you know Everybody where volleyball knows. was invented? Um, because they couldn't afford a basketball court. Do you know where it was invented? No, in Highland, Holland. Where? Right next to where basketball was invented. In Canada? 
You think basketball was invented in Canada? Well, Nate Smith is a is a. Let me just get it out. Nate Smith was a Canadian that came down and he invented it, even though he went to Georgia Tech. So, where do you think it was invented? You don't know where basketball was invented? Yeah, it was invented just. It was on a plantation somewhere in, in Virginia. Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> no, that's what the Hall of Fame. That's what they say. But he he was a Canadian. And well, a Canadian can't come to this country and invent something. Illegal. Where's Trump when you need him? Um, <laughs> build a wall, damn it. No. Uh, anyway, bo- volleyball, <laughs> volleyball. One of my favorite jokes from the, uh, the Latino comics is when Bush wanted to build a wall to keep the, the Mexican people out of Mexico. And the joke is, who's going to build the wall? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely you're not going to get that built. Uh, but no, but the volleyball was invented in Holyoke, Massachusetts, right next to Springfield. So really? two sports were invented right next to why do you know that? Because I'm from Longmeadow. Which okay, is there you go. All right. I'm sorry. Why don't you know that the Basketball Hall of Fame is in Springfield? Um, I know where the, I know where it is. Matter of fact, I'm in it. But uh, I didn't. I didn't. Know. You are in it. Yeah. Don't worry about that. But um, uh, <laughs> don't worry. Just let that part go. Uh, <laughs> and the Smithsonian in DC. But that's that's that didn't need this, to be in here. That's important stuff. <laughs> It What's was in the, there. That's why I looked when you said I was like, it was in there. And I remember when I they were, when they were curtailing it, they were like, let's, you know. Tell me what's in the Smithsonian. Uh, there's a picture of me and Jay Billis. He played for Duke and I played for Georgia Tech. And they put the ball at center. They put a camera at center court and the guy threw the ball up. And we both went to, to hide, uh, tap the ball and our fingers cut. So it was like white hands and black that's hands. That's a famous and, picture. Yeah. That's that's and in the Hall of Fame. What's in the Hall of Fame? Uh, the fact that I won um, four world championships, four world championships in three decades and two millenniums on three different teams. Awesome. Yeah. So everybody said, "Man, you're not going to be a Hall of Fame." I've been in the Hall of Fame for a while. Like, but the the ceremonies and all that stuff, I never like. Now, was into now that. I I know you've heard every question in the world, and I'm sorry for this. I'm going to ask it right now. I got your four rings here. Mm-hmm. I got the Hall of Fame over there. Four rings. You choose the four rings over the Hall of Fame. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame you never heard of. <laughs> a lot of guys who won championships you never heard of. Well, not really. Brad Sellers. We know, we know a lot of guys. He never won a championship. I'm right. <laughs> never won. But you, you, we know the guys who we feel. And I used to say this. It's different between being, um, if you well, he's not a champion. Well, you can still be a winner and not a champion. It's just hard when you have a team aspect. And like you said, you can be on the team and have two bad apples, and you won't get that. Patrick Ewan maybe should have a championship. Uh, Charles Barkley maybe, but, you know, Michael had more will at that time um, that, that should have a championship. My mentality, I'm Michael Jordan's friend since 1981, and I remember when I uh, – snatched him out of the air and put him on his back and and he was like man you're not you we're not friends no more you one of them and i said i've always been one of them like i've all i love you to death but when we get on the court if if it's do or die then you know i'll tell your mom it was nice knowing you i'm not i'm not dying i'm not going for it at my daughter's game she goes to this friend school at this daughter's game they literally asked me to calm down because i i'll start making fun of the ref and saying things and i'm very loud like I'm way louder than the coach. Like the coach stopped talking when I get to the game because I start like getting into it. Then you can't talk to me. I'm not having a conversation with you. I'm watching Taya play. And does she tell you, Dad? Could you please shut? The she F doesn't up? talk. She doesn't talk that much. She's. Does she's she more think? Ac- I wish she'd shut. Yeah. She. <laughs> uh, it depends. It depends. But I don't embarrass her. I used to embarrass her sister 
but I, don't, I, I learned not to embarrass her. So going back to you starting with the Pistons, so you're a rookie, you're coming in. What are your expectations For of how you're going to play and whose spot are you going to take of Mahorn and Lambeer? Who, who are you going to take? Because, again, like my son says on the T-shirt, nobody trains to be a backup, right. but you're coming in and you are a backup. No, I came in and I was the starter for 15 games. I beat uh, Rick Mahorn and, and, and uh, Sid Green out. So you started as a rookie. Started as a rookie. So I bet your reception from Rick Mahorn in the locker room was a little chilly. Well, it was him and Sid that kicked me in the leg and punched me in the chin. So, you know, it was, that's when I learned it quickly. I just went right back to my Brooklyn upbringing. You have no friends, period. Explain that philosophy to our audience. You have right. no friends. Everybody. And to my kids. Yes. Everybody. It's always good to say, hey, this is my friend. Friend, friend. Uh, you should pick your friends like you pick your fruit. You should literally examine each one, smell it, squeeze it, see if it's what you want. And and you can't just because you're in the same. But what on if the it's same a girlfriend? Team, that's that's why I said that. Uh, <laughs> same thing. But like if you're if you got teammates, remember the only reason they're there in the NBA is because they got drafted. Somebody is hiring them to do a job. So LeBron said it last year, and everybody gets upset with him. He said, I have three friends in the NBA, the rest of teammates. Like, he can't be friends with all the guys he plays with. Like, you're not going to invite all of the guys to your house. You're not going to go to all the kids' birthday parties. You, you're only going to do that to your friends. It's the same in the NBA. It's, I, call it, I call it IBM. Um, when you get traded, you, still, you are still in the NBA, but, but you work for IBM. So you work for the NBA, but whatever the other team is. So I play. I worked for the NBA in Detroit, in Miami, in Toronto, in Chicago, and in Los Angeles. I really look at it that way. Like, everyone, what's your favorite team? Um, I wanted to be an NBA player. So I, I'm, I've never really been a fan. Um, I was a fan of players, but not one of those guys who go home, sit down, get ready, put my jersey on, think that I'm playing. I've always just been an entertainer or a player. So it's very few friends I have. The first time you talked to Red Auerbach oh, yeah. after the draft, yeah, what did you say to him? I said, he's, he came up to me, he called me long, tall, too. Uh, it's funny, Jerry Krause, who was the general manager of Chicago, Chicago, they both called me long, tall. So my first company when I got here was long, tall, Sally. But they called me long, tall. And he goes, hey, man, no disrespect, I had to take, I had to take that pick with Lenny. I said, I, I would I would have taken him, too. I said, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> and he goes, it did cost me. I go, no, it's going to cost you, cost you. And like I used to tell people, Kevin McHale, I started playing with Kevin McHale when I was in college. So I thought I knew every move until I got into the NBA, and then he showed me every move. He was one of those guys that showed you stuff, but he only showed you the stuff he's showing you. He doesn't show you the stuff he can do. When you say show you, show you on the court? Yeah, or like I was in camp when I was there in the summertime. So – like posting up in the NBA or going down low in the box, everyone thinks it's it's brutal and it's banging and it's all that. It's not. Guys don't really want to hit you. That once you get to a spot, then they have to figure out that if a guy hits you, the referee sees it, especially if you're a good actor, a good flopper. But guys don't want to hit you. And if you catch the ball and you face them, they don't know what to do. And I found, and that was Kevin McHale telling me that. He goes, you quick going left and right. He said, but you have to use what you have. So you're quick, but you're skinny. And you 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 know you don't have a lot of weight, and he goes, but you you're surprisingly strong, and I, I think that comes from being mentally strong. I grew up, and I didn't want to be 
uh, my mom just said, if you look that way on a clear day, you see Coney Island. I said, if you go on the roof and look that way, you can see Beverly Hills. And she goes, you mean Manhattan? I go, no, look past that. And she used to think I was crazy until she was in my house in Beverly Hills. And then she was like, you, you, you're a different kid. I was like, yeah, this is the only planet I know that you can think of it and it can, it can happen. That's right. So let's go way, way back for right now. We'll come back. Uh-huh. Let's go back to Brooklyn. Let's go back to what kind of house you grew up in. What was the socioeconomic <laughs> dynamic? What was, you know, the financial situation, brothers and sisters? And what was your first inspiration to want to be a basketball player in the NBA? Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, Canarsie, in a project called Bayview Project on the eighth floor in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment with my two brothers and my mother and father, which is a rare thing. And, uh, and my Your father, mom and dad were together. Yeah, they were married. I don't know about together, but they were married. <laughs> they wasn't together on a lot of things except bills. Uh, my father drove truck in Manhattan for 35 years. He put the asbestos in this building. <laughs> no, but seriously, like this right here is natural acoustics. So this is what my father did. So he was one of the builders of. Um, You're pointing to the ceiling. Yeah, how he's one of the ceiling tiles yeah, are one of the builders of the twin towers. So when they came down, I, like I went to New York, I think uh, a year later, and I was like, and I saw this other building, and I, and I forgot he had died. I was like, Ma, you got to tell pops that there's a building in Queens, so it can look like it's part of the skyline. And then when it when the Twin Towers were going down, I said, he'd be pissed right now. Like in his brain, he's like, it took us six years to build that building and go up. So uh, he was cool. My mom's worked all kind of jobs is how I learned my hustle. We clean house on Friday in Long Island. You she, say we. Yeah, I would go, and my mom was a housekeeper. So you would clean the houses with her? Yeah, I would vacuum and do the curtains. And she was a kosher caterer, so we would serve Seda dinner on Friday nights. And then she worked as a dry cleaner, a presser. I would press the, to this thing, my wife would say, you do the ironing and I'll do everything else. So I still would do all the ironing if I if she, if she left it there. And I worked at Grabstein's Delicatessen and I cleaned uh, Donut Town. I did all these jobs. She made me get a job, so I would do them really quick to play basketball. And all the money you gave to her to, to for the household? No, I didn't make a lot of money. That's what she thought I was doing it wrong. I was getting paid by the hour, two dollars and thirty seven cent. Two dollars and thirty seven cents. Thirty five cent was a was a minimum wage when I was growing up. And so I'd literally I I would finish so how, in an hour. So how do you guys afford to have clothes and things that uh, she worked in the cleaners. You know how a lot of times your stuff winds up missing? Yeah. That was us. I was just joking. He was like, "Really?" I was wondering what my favorite. Well, I don't know if there's too many missing size 16 <laughs> no. shoes and size. Right. you know, I started growing 40 length pants. Yeah. What length are your pants? Uh, four, 39 inch. 39 long. Yeah. What? What's your waist? Uh, 36. Wow. Nice. Yeah, don't be jealous. My cousin and I was at the bus station at the bus stop, and these cats rolled up and uh, was like. Where y'all live? And my cousin was like, I live on Strauss. And so that meant he was in the neighborhood. And he just looked around, they looked right or left, and there was nowhere to run. And so they checked the pockets, and they went in his pockets. They went to go in my pockets, and I was like, nah. And my brother, my cousin was like, Johnny, I was like, we're going to have to fight. And they went in his pockets, and then uh, took his bus pass and whatever dollar, $2 he had, and they went to go in my pocket, and I kept going. But I was real fast, too, so it was a... Uh, 
a punch in the throat and then run to the right. That's all I remember, punch in the throat and run to the right because that was the only space. It was like I was a wide receiver. Um, but I always rode with a crew too. That's another reason, like I talked to cats, man, when I had a program called Read and Proceed. It was called Rap Incorporated. Uh, we would talk to all these, all these kids and I would say, I see why y'all rolling in groups and in gangs because it, it, it kind of protects you. It protects you to be with your clique and, uh, and then when I became an athlete, that was my clique. They didn't really, it was funny, there's a, it's a train station in New York called Broadway Junction. It's, it's where you can get almost every train in Brooklyn. And when you would go there, all the, all the gangsters would be in certain places. And if they knew they can get you, they would get you. So, but when you wore a jacket with a basketball team on it and you were a baller or a football player, they never bothered the athletes. Gangsters love athletes. They never, they never got in the way. And how close did you ever come to dying? A lot, yeah. Tell us one story uh, and how you avoided it. Broadway Internet, it was on, it was on Labor Day. It was in Brooklyn. It was on, uh, it was on um, Eastern Parkway, and it's called a Caribbean car- Parade. Now, they don't like Yankees, meaning blacks not born in the islands. And they figured out we were Yankees and uh, started chasing us. You know, first, you know, we didn't chase. But then it turned into almost like the movie The Warriors. Like, we were really getting chased. So we get on the train, and we get on the bus, and uh, <laughs> this dude tried to get on the back way, and this lady pushed him out of the way because we were about to push him back because he was trying to sneak on. And they shot the bus up. So we laid on the ground, and then the bus driver was smart enough to drive fast. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to hook shots. I'm going to go back in the park. Because I was hanging out. I, my brother said to me, there are no seven-foot gangsters. And I thought, I thought, yo, you know, you want to be on the gangster side, right? You got the chains on. You got, you got the pumas on. You got the look. So you were dressing like a gangster. Yeah, I was very early hip-hop. I was very early hip-hop, which at that time we called it gangster, meaning, yo, you look gangster, meaning you look cool. So before you were thinking about playing basketball, are you saying that you were actually, in order to survive in that area, you were thinking of taking on that persona? I took on that persona. I was a Jehovah Witness, too. So it was on Saturdays, I'm knocking on your door, and on on Fridays, I'm, I'm trying to get your clothes or trying to, you know, run that chain, son. So, but we never used pistols or anything like that. We just used a whole bunch of people and you knew to get them dressed. So that that day when, however old you're a teenager and they shoot up the bus and you realize you could have died, that's the moment you said, yep. let me work hard on my basketball and I can get out of here. No, the, the day that happened, it was me, my best friend Lloyd Harrison and Tony Hudson. And Lloyd wound up getting murdered uh, by a kid in my project um, so when you, I was a sophomore in college. So you knew who did it? Yeah. yeah. But you couldn't say anything? No, we said something. Yeah. We, we, yeah. And then, Coach, this is, a, this is a real turning point in my life. I had to go to New York. I said, I got to go home. And Coach Crimmins said, nah, your mom's told me what happened. Coach Crimmins at Coach, Georgia, Tech. Georgia Tech. So this yeah. is when you're at Georgia Tech. And he said, he said, he said I said, I got to go home. My best friend got murdered. There's no way you're thinking I'm not going to go home. And he gave me a one-way ticket. <coughs> and I said, yo, where's the return? He goes, if you go, you can't come back. So I had to make a decision. Either go or like give up my college career or uh, stay in my college career and let things happen as they're supposed to. So they did. 
But Rob only got like four years in jail. Wait, wait, time out here. Mm-hmm. So your coach at Georgia Tech, yeah. you go through an enormous tragedy with your best friend dying, mm-hmm. and his sensitivity level was to say, here's a one-way ticket, pal. Make a decision. You know, my son Asher had a decision to make, not as gut-wrenching as yours, but he, um, they both made the all-star team in Malibu, but Asher made uh, this traveling team that he had to go on, and he was signed up to Duke basketball camp with Mike Krzyzewski. And after they won the championship this year, but it went the same time as the practices to determine who was going to be in the lineup. And he chose to stay in the baseball because they told him if he went to basketball, it was, he wasn't going to, it so, was smart. He didn't go. And, and I'm going to tell him because he's here. Let me tell you why it's smart. You don't go anytime you go and I'm not bashing camps. It's mostly to get the kids money. And it's to do the same drills you should be doing on your own. And it's to get you to listen to people <clears throat> who you should be trying to be better than. So when you get any time to just constantly play as opposed to watch, you can learn from watching, but you can learn more from playing. So it's always better to be in the activity. But so, th- so the one-way ticket, but I didn't understand okay, what so you the, did. I didn't understand So this what is what I did. did. If, I, if I take the ticket, I'm not sitting with you now. Because I have to go back and find Rob, and we got a revenge, right? If I stay in Georgia, I'm not around people getting murdered. And he got me a sports psychiatrist. This this is important. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. Because he got me the sports psychiatrist because he knew that I had to talk to somebody. And but he um, also knew instinctively that I wouldn't that if it. you went, you would I'd be kill murder. somebody and right. go to jail. Mm-hmm. How did he know that about you? He's from the Bronx. He's from the Bronx. It's, 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 this is the funniest thing. So Rob's family still lives in the project. It's wintertime. Somebody smashed all the windows out of their apartment. Um, tried to beat up. Anytime they saw one of them, one of them was getting, he had three brothers, two brothers. They were getting beat down. His moms and pops were going through turmoil. Like everybody was out to get robbed. So he wind up turning himself in just to stop that part. And um but it was also the beginning of the crack age too. So crack started kicking in. A lot of guys became addicts, a lot of guys became dealers. And Coach Krimmer just thought, you know, being in Georgia in a, in Atlanta would even though that became the crack <laughs> capital of the world, he thought it'd be a great um place to keep me so I never went back to Brooklyn I went to Brooklyn one week a year and then he would he would have a reason to have me back in Georgia so I I thank him for a lot of things do you think if you'd have said I'm taking the one-way ticket he would have talked you out of it no that's literally what it was and that's that's why he did it that way he said this is a one-way ticket so, and I tell people that there's no, if you go one way, you, that's it. There's no, you can't do two things at one time Two, one, two, one thing has to occupy it. So he gave me the key to the freshman gym, meaning whenever you want to go play and get away, you want to, so I was in the, everybody was hanging out and I guess I was in depression and shock. I would play from 12 to three in the morning. So everybody was partying and you were playing from yeah. 12 to three like, in the morning. Yeah, they didn't understand life. They thought life was a big party and I'm like, you know. Everybody was drinking and smoking. Yeah, yeah I didn't drink whatever. until I was 32. 
You didn't drink until you were 32 years old. I didn't old. smoke a, I didn't smoke weed until I was 39. First time I tried it was 36. Uh Sacramento playoffs Lakers. Um I wasn't playing so um the girl was fine so I had to, <laughs> I had to smoke. And I then I didn't like, smoke I again until like, I was 39. I tell my kids all the time, you know, you're going to run into when you're young, you're these beautiful girls are going to be like, "Hey, come with me. I'm in a bikini. Take a drink, do whatever." And Go. <laughs> you never know when you're gonna have it again, bro. No, <laughs> no. no but what wait, I say but you is, you waited this. until you were 30. That's amazing. Yeah, my father was an alcoholic, so I knew drinking was bad. And the guy who killed Lloyd was high, and I took it as marijuana was the reason. It wasn't. It was just environment. But I, and just to tell your sons, there's four women in every one man, and the fact that you guys look good and have you know great teeth. Women love that. Trust me. See, my teeth, as just like yours, it works. See, Taya has braces on. I tell her that all the time. I go, there's nothing like teeth. Anytime somebody sees you and you smile, it relaxes them. Wow. Everybody. I'm in deep shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you're at Georgia Tech, and things are going well. And Coach Crimmins, does he let you know that, hey, uh, did, now how many years did you play? Did you go all four years? Yeah, I was going to leave my junior year because because of, you know, I just wanted to hurry up and make money and move my mom's out. But you knew you were going to make the NBA. Well, if I wasn't going to make it, no one was going to make it. Your freshman year at uh, Georgia Tech, you know you're going to make the NBA. 12 years old. You're 12 years old, so you're Taya's age, and you knew you were going to make the NBA. She really doesn't like basketball. She's only doing it because I did it. And I keep telling her, you don't have to. <laughs> And she oh, okay. tells me, no, it's too easy. Like, it's easy for her to play back. That's what's so crazy to me. Like, she's so massively strong. And she does things, and I go, you, you can get 40 a game. She goes, ah. So you know from 12. From How 12. do you know at 12 you're going to the NBA? How do you know? Because everybody else wanted to. Um, now, I was, I was a rapper. I was a, a, a MC. So I was, it was either go to school, go to practice, and then I would be in the studio with my crew and and my brother once again my brother Ron like Taya I had a skateboard he saw me with a skateboard and put it against the wall and broke it in half and said once you break your collarbone you can't unbreak it it's going to keep breaking or you dislocate your shoulder it's going to constantly always dislocate like if you dislocate your shoulder you have now stretched the ligament to the point where it's going to dislocate all the time so you're never going to ride the skateboard again so he was like if you're going to hurt yourself, hurt yourself on the basketball court. Don't hurt yourself before the basketball court. And um, and he was uh, the last pick, the last cut in 1970-something uh, playing football. So I saw if he can get that far, I, I'm going to be the only pro in the NBA. And my cousins were great basketball players, and I was like, but I'm going to be the pro. So we would say that, and I was like, that's going to be my job. Uh, this kid, Eric Jones, I never got his father, was watching the Nick game. And he goes, man, basketball, NBA players, they got the best, they got the prettiest women, the sharpest clothes, they drive the best rides, and they get paid the most. And I was like, they get paid to play basketball? He was like, yeah. I was like, I'm doing that. I swear, I was like, that's what I'm doing. He was like, that's what you're going to do, man. It's a lot of practice. I was like, I'm, I'm good. There's no problem. So I literally just focused on that was going to be the way to get me out. And when I got out, I was going to play 10 years and come to Hollywood. And that's exactly what I did. I played 12 years and came to Hollywood. And then I did a great talk show, and I had Magic on as a guest. And then he and his manager felt that they should have a talk show. 
Um, the magic hour. Yeah. I don't believe in censorship. Right? I, I censor by not putting you in an environment. But if it's in front of you, then explain what you see. Explain what it is so no one else explains it. No one else comes up to him and says something. You explain it. So, you know, I love Prince. So she was a little girl. We would, I, would, I had Purple Rain. And so she watched all the Purple Rain. Now, she can watch a movie all the way through if it's color. She cannot watch a black and white movie, which was amazing to me that a lot of kids can't watch black and white movies. It does, their brain doesn't work the same way as a color. So she watched Prince, and she brings somebody, somebody comes to the house, and she goes, you want to watch Purple Rain? And she's like six. And I'm like, oh, you don't, don't tell them I let you watch Purple Rain. She goes, it's my favorite movie. Come on, you got to watch Purple Rain. And so she's sitting there, people like not knowing. And I had Tyler watching the Boondocks. Tyler. It was my older daughter watching the Boondocks. And the Boondocks, the television series? Television series. Yeah. That the animated show. Talk Against Christmas. Yeah. And my wife is uh, a born Catholic, and the holidays are important, and, and, the, and the fallacy of, of Christmas is important. Jesus is not, but this Santa Claus is. And so <laughs> I said, she was watching it, and she was like, you let it. And so she turned to me, she goes, there's no such thing as Santa Claus? And I said, not in this house. <laughs> like, in this house, there's no Santa Claus. He's not coming down his chimney. If anything comes out that chimney, go get my gun and shoot whatever comes out of the chimney. It's not happening. That'll put you in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was. She didn't like that. But I also, at the age of 40, I decided never to lie again, which at the age of 50, when I stopped lying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it took you a decade to took stop me lying. took a decade. And I eliminated a lot you're of people. 51 now? 51. A lot of people are limited. So you haven't lied in a year. Like if you ask me, I will answer you compassionately. Are you having a good time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I dig you. As a, you remember when you said it, said Barry, what you used to do a podcast sometimes. I was like, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I like I like you. Um, I'm glad. And I'm, you, I'm glad I made the cut. No. Yeah. There's not a lot of people. Uh, there's not a lot of people I dislike. It's just a lot of people I will not use my my time with. Uh, Moses Malone died on Sunday. Awful. Right, 60 years old. Uh, a week before that, Daryl Dawkins died. So six NBA players died in seven months, and I've been telling the NBA about food and, and how we won't live past 60 if you don't start telling these guys things that you won't tell them when you're playing with them. Like uh, you got teams, pro teams, they don't feed the players. If they do, they feed them the same thing that the audience eats, which is by far the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's like – you go watch a horse race, uh, go watch Kentucky Derby, you won't see a thoroughbred eating poorly. They they treat the thoroughbred better than they would themselves, right? It's a correct it's a direct correlation for self respect on what you put in your mouth. So or what you what you eat. So I would say that to the team. I was like, We got on a private jet and guys got on with, with fast food. And I was like, You can't come on a plane with fast food. They were like, Sal, come on, man. Come on, man, I'm starving. I go, right, you can't come on the plane with that. And I would do that, and I wasn't even, at some teams, they were like, you're not going to stop me from coming on the plane. Yeah, kind of am. So so where do you shop? Uh, farmer's markets. California has 560 farmer markets. This you, is the you, most blessed place to be. You only shop in farmer's markets. Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and I just became a part of Thrive Market. And Thrive Market is an online um, company that sells all natural processed foods, the best of the best of them. 
So if you go in the middle of Whole Foods, everybody talks about how expensive it is. Thrive Market cuts to 30%. Now, every person that buy a mem- buys a membership, we give a membership to a, um, to a, a lower-income family for free. And so when I'm going around and I'm speaking at all these different places, they talk about that food's too expensive. And I go, well, the stuff you're eating is not food. So don't ask me why mine is so expensive. You should ask why yours is so cheap. And so we are making it to a point of that they can afford better food on the inner city. So thrive, okay. Thrive market. All right. No, I'm going to give you one. I don't want you to buy one. I want you to – we might even sponsor your, your podcast. It would be an honor. It would be great. Now, <laughs> Costco has gotten into this yeah. pretty heavily. I'm in with Costco. I have a company called uh, Love with my partner's George Elias. and we How make- do you – trademark love that's love it's it's life cruelty free l-o-v and we have the three lines so it looks like love but it's legion of vegans got it but we don't every time you put the word vegan on it's like saying vampire when's the last time you ate meat um i don't know uh two years ago a year ago oh so you stopped you stopped only two years ago no so a lot of times i tell people i don't choose to use for a couple of reasons one Cholesterol. I had high cholesterol. I figured out it was the meat. It was the eggs I was eating. Um, egg whites or egg. Period. So I need to tell everybody says that when you eat the white of the egg, and you're not getting anything but cholesterol. When you eat the yellow of the egg, you're not getting anything. Well, the you white eat them together, you're only getting cholesterol. See, this is there was the everything is protein, and the only way you can assimilate protein in your diet is through vegetables. So I tell people that all the time. And when you eat eggs, it's 100% cholesterol, plus it's the menstrual cycle of a chicken. So that's what an egg is. If it's not a chick, it's period blood. So there's no reason to eat that. And all right, so tell our audience. Why I ate, why I ate meat two years ago? Yes. I uh, went to Heavy D, who was one of my best friends. He died from a heart attack. And I, took my, I was in New York looking at schools with my daughter. And we went up to Heavy's house, and Heavy's mother made food and she made uh jerk chicken and fish and whatever when i got there and, and put it in front of us and so we ate it like it was no problem we don't tell them when you know you don't go to somebody's mom's and say and it was the first time my daughter has had jerk chicken or salmon and when i turned around she was getting another piece and she slept the whole day the next day she could not move she was like i can't get out of bed and i go how's that meat treating you and that's so a lot of times the lesson is being in that point. Tell our audience, tell our audience five things that you recommend that they eat on a regular basis that they might not be thinking of. First thing is drink a half a gallon of water a day, room temperature. Room temperature water. Yeah. Why not cold water? Cold water, as soon as it goes in your body, your body can only do one thing at a time. That's why it's, that's why they laugh and said the person can't walk and chew gum. That's amazing that people can do that, right? But you know you can do things, but really your body can do one thing at a time. So if you drink something cold, your body heats up because it tries to keep it. It's called homostasis. It tries to keep it at ninety eight point six degrees. So when you drink something cold, your body then stops what it's doing to heat up to keep the heart warm. So you're saying that LeBron James is drinking room temperature Gatorade? He's no longer drinking. Um, sugary products. Are you saying he's drinking room temperature water on the court? He is now. Remember he kept getting cramps? Yes. One of the first things I said is you should have I said you're going to keep having that problem if you 
don't drink coconut water and hydrate your body. You're already an unbelievable machine, but you're not feeding it like it's an unbelievable machine. So he now drinks coconut water, cut out carbohydrates, lost like 30 pounds. You know, he, he listened. D-Wade D- was having all these problems, started listening. Who's uh, Who were they listening to? Uh, a lot of Jim Jones played with him. He was a vegetarian, and they laughed and giggled, but he was in the best shape. They said he was always in the best shape. Pat Riley thought he was in the best shape. So, um, All right. Johnson. So water, what's number two? What's number two is green. So if you can get a green drink, a green powder drink, and drink that every day, uh, the reason you get the green powder drink is because they have literally about 14 different greens you probably wouldn't drink but eat, but your body needs fiber. Um Besides that next thing, I would tell you to, um, if you have to eat, eat an apple and a banana per day. Got it. If you can eat three bananas, I mean three apples and three bananas, eat that. One banana is going to give you potassium, plus it's going to keep the weight on your body. Your body uh, digests it slower. And the the vitamin A has vitamin, um, apple has vitamin A, niacin, all the things that keep you fresh. So if you took niacin as a pill, your face would turn completely red. It rushes your blood up. But that means it just makes your blood full of oxygen. Number five? Um, I would say to eat some. I, I get back and forth when they argue with me on this. But I like a starch as in rice. And the reason is because in order to cook the rice, you have to let it boil in water. And the reason the white plumps up is because it's full of water. It's another way of keeping your body hydrated in small little pieces. Brown rice or white rice? Brown rice because it has fiber. Awesome. Okay. You wasn't ready for me to have the answer. Was that? Was that? Uh, no, I, I love this. this yeah. And great. I don't eat fruit that much. I eat more vegetables than I do fruit. No fish. No chicken. No no. No, the fish happens to swim in the ocean where we poop and blow up atomic bombs and nuclear blasts and dump oil. So I wouldn't eat that because, like, like I tell people all the time, why I eat organic as as much as possible is. You don't really eat the plant. You eat what the plant is eating. Chicken? Um, chicken is a dinosaur, and it um, it will eat its own and eat itself, and it's a bird. My daughter's favorite line is somebody said, you don't eat chicken? She goes, it's a bird. She goes, it's chicken. She goes, it's a bird. So to, to pay attention to a kid, and I didn't know, I heard her say it, and I was like, wow, that's a good way of explaining it. If I keep telling you it's a bird, you go, so? And I go, will you eat a parakeet? Would you eat a pigeon? Would you eat an eagle? Would you eat a hawk? Would you eat a crow? Those are all the same things. Those are all birds. There's no reason to eat a thing with wings that flies and has feathers. Adrian Danley, he said he taught you yeah. in the proper nutrition. He taught me. So we, I was in my rookie year. We were in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and they used to make the vets room with the rookies, so you can learn the ropes mm-hmm. for during exhibition season. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, Sal, go ahead, order anything you want. And I got a cheeseburger with French fries and a strawberry shake. And I, I don't even remember it if I bit. I think I just inhaled it. And he just laughed while I was eating. And I said, what are you laughing at? And I'm looking around like, he's just laughing. And he ordered a soup and a sandwich and told him to bring him another half a sandwich and a soup at 4.30. So we eat and he goes, Yo, get your rest, man. You, know, you got two big guys tonight. And I said, all right. And all of a sudden, I'm barely moving and it's like five o'clock. He said, hey, Sam, remember, you gotta be over there by six. 
and it was like 5.15, and he was leaving to go across the street. And back then, we used to walk across the street. Like, we didn't have security. So when the Mecca was across the street in Milwaukee. And he goes, and he gets strained. And when I get in there, he's, like, stretching and got the heating pads on everything. And I'm just, you know, Miranda in there. Another game, I'm tired. And um, I'm going to say white, but two of the slowest guys, they happen to be uh, these tall white guys. One was named Brewer and one was named Jack Sigma. I mean, slow. And Jack's moves was slow on purpose. He was one of the 50 greatest players, too. They were destroying me. And and I'm supposed to be this fast, high jumping. I can't make layups. I'm not dunking. I'm not. I'm moving like them. And Chuck was like, "What's wrong with you? Did you not get any rest? What are you doing? You got broads in your room." Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly. And Coach of the business. I sit down and AD goes, "How's that cheeseburger treating you?" <laughs> and he said, "Sal, your body, when you put food in it, will stop everything to digest food because you're eating for fuel for your body. You're not eating to fill your stomach." People say, "Here, eat something. Just put something in your stomach." That is how you destroy a kid. You don't, you don't give them something to shut them up. That's why you called Adrian the teacher. The teacher. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people don't talk about this, but you became good friends with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And you started doing stand-up comedy. Right. Now, how did that go? It went well until one gig in Detroit at the Fox Theater. Fox and, Theater is a historic theater yeah. that holds about 5,000 people. Yeah, it, and it had about 5,000 in it. And it's a very urban uh, market, and normally the shows there attract uh, predominantly all African-American audiences. Yeah, black folk. Uh, <laughs> and But this time it was the Miss Michigan pageant. Miss Michigan pageant. And so there was a lot of white folks, a lot of white folks. There was just a lot of women on stage, but they wanted me to come and do 10 minutes and it was the longest 10 minutes of my life because not one person laughed did they boo you off the stage no i won a championship but that was the only thing i won was a championship and when i got off stage my brother goes that was horrible (laughs) and that ended it right there and then i just decided to be funny when i needed to as opposed to and then bill cosby one of my favorite people i thought your brother would have said to you how's that cheeseburger yeah how's that cheeseburger (laughs) you missed out on miss alpine over there she was on you until you know that girl over there from jackson was loving you until you started trying to bomb as a stand-up the women disappear yes yes unless they think it's funny that you thought it was funny to be bad yeah you know but uh that was it I'm gonna tell you, it is by far the hardest job. And it's, the cool thing about Eddie is you, something would happen, and it'd be funny. And Eddie goes, "Wow, that's hilarious!" And then he would try to figure out why it was funny. I go, "It's funny because it's funny." He goes, "No, there's a reason it's funny. Like you know, there's a reason I got to figure out why that's funny." And just to think that somebody had to think that far into things was was amazing. And I knew that wasn't gonna be my gig. When did you meet Dr. Cosby? I've been with Dr. Cosby. Uh, since uh, 1987, I was with him until um, two years ago. I hadn't seen him in two years. I would always see him at the Jazz Fest, and he had all the best advice and a really great man. I think it's tragic what he's going through right now, and I think, and I think people need to look deeper into it. Something crazy happened to Flip Wilson. We no longer talk about Flip Wilson. Uh, the mentality of Nat King Cole. We no longer talk about Nat King Cole. It's always, 
these guys get to a certain point and then the, the world forgets about them. They did it with Don Rickles. They did it with Bob Newhart. They did it with... Uh, the uh, world forgot about Bob Newhart and Don Rickles? In a way. Like, if you ask a comedian right now, what do you think about Rickles comedy? They would be like, "When I've never seen Rickles. They don't... It, like, I, I tell somebody, I said, man, when I used to watch Johnny Carson and you can see a young kid's face move, and I go, uh, he was the second host of the Tonight Show for 30, 32 years. And they go, oh, oh, he was before Jay? And that's how I know I'm obviously too old or they figured out a way not to let them figure it out. Elton John is still performing, thanks to Eminem. I can say that to people, not thanks to Eminem, but every young kid, your kid's age, would know or was around when, when Eminem and, and Elton John perform at MTV, when the... Uh, what is the LBGT? How do how do you pronounce it? LTG? What's the gay? Uh, what's the gay? Uh, LGBT. LGBT. But what's the uh, the people glad when they were boycotting and wanting Eminem's head for what he was saying? Elton John went on stage with him, right? That that people say no, that's not why they like Elton John. I go, I said, you tell me one kid that's not black right now sing an Elton John song. Tell me, tell me Elton John song. Tell me one. They can't tell you. I'm going to disagree with you on Don Rickles and Bob Newhart. Don okay, Rickles, wait, wait. I, I can, just I saw in Montreal, sold out a 5,000-seater, and all the Who young was comics were around him. How many? I don't know how many. Because y'all told him. I, I, went and <laughs> saw, I went and saw Don Rickles and Bob Newhart at a restaurant, and I literally w- walked in, and I said, this this can't be. Like, that, that can't be Don Rickles. And I looked back, and it's Don Rickles. He and his wife, and and Bob and his wife, and I went and pulled the chair up. Hackett introduced uh, yeah. uh, Bob Newhart to his wife. Oh, really? Buddy Hackett. Oh man, Bob Newhart, boy, I got Bob Newhart albums. The inspiration to my whole career, the button-down mind of Bob Newhart. Yeah, I got that album. I wow. got. I became. I started traveling and and working with uh, not traveling, but working with Dick Dick Gregory, and I worked. And when Dick and Dick, Dick Gregory, one of the greatest comedians, yeah, five so. five months ago, six months ago, got his a star on the walk of fame and I was at that presentation and all these other comedians are coming on stage and they were coming on stage like I got to do a little something on stage nah Dick Gregory sitting in front of you you should be really good right now but they see him as a as a civil rights activist and as um they just see him as a civil rights activist they don't realize he was before Bill Cosby like that was his spot he gave it up to do something different got but, it when's the last time you were nervous I was nervous on Friday, Thursday and Friday. I hosted Basketball Wives Reunion Show. I do that for VH1. And so I always get nervous before I walk on stage. And then I walk on stage and I let my nervous be the fuel. Because one of the things that people don't know about, you did a talk show pilot for Disney. Yeah. That was one of the greatest pilots I ever saw. You're an amazing, amazing host. I agree. And um, it was incredible. And all of a sudden, of course... Other people wanted to do a show. What well, it was two things. It was a guy named Michael Davies. Michael Davies is a great producer uh, from England, and uh, he produced that show with Regis Philbin, that game show that went every night of the week. Who, Who wants to be a millionaire? millionaire? Right. And he produced the Keenan Ivan Wayne show. Yes. And he produced a couple other things, Fast Cars and Superstars. But he came over with this show, and he just he hired Keenan in my spot because he felt they needed somebody that was more recognizable and they thought Keenan was recognizable. 
the fact that he didn't want to talk to people, <laughs> he let that part go. And then Magic went to Fox and said, I want a show. So they put Keenan lasted six months, Magic Johnson. six weeks. Yeah, Magic yeah. Hour. Yeah. So, But you were, I just want to share with I appreciate you, it. I'm one of the few people who saw that pilot, and you were unbelievable. I appreciate it. But and you still are unbelievable, and that's why, again, you know, you relate to basketball, but you went into the best damn sports show, okay? A new show. You were a rookie, technically. And the people on that show. Now, granted. I came in six weeks after it started, too. I came in for Reggie Theus. Because yes. Reggie didn't want to be funny. That's right. He said he didn't like, they, you know, they made jokes and all that kind of stuff. And, and you came in and you were on the show until the end of the show, seven right. years later. I mm-hmm. mean, that's incredible. I thought so. It was great money. Uh, I learned the value of working a job. I tell you that. That's, that's a hard thing to do. Well, it's a hard thing to do because it was a daily show. Yeah. But. Yeah, and people would look at it. Well, it was, I only worked four hours a day. It was hard. No, you didn't only work four hours a day. You had prep time, and you had to have a meeting yeah, after. You had the meeting before. Everybody that says that meeting after. I, I I had oh my god by year four. I was like, we got to stop this. Like, let's watch it and see what's happening first. But they would go in and correct, try to correct what we already done. So, which but I like, thought was but a like basketball, you worked with certain people uh, who you might not want to talk about. I love them. That you might have loved everybody, but there were certain people that came in and were around that weren't always the most huggable and lovable towards you. <laughs> okay, so let me let me. This is I'm glad you said that. So when I got there, I'm a rookie. So Mark Mayer is sitting there in front of me, and he would sit down, and we would go through the whole show, and I was like, dude, like everybody's gone, and because it's a trip. I'm glad you said that. I wind up getting on stage and thanking Mark Mayer because, like he said, Mark would say, uh, everyone's here at 1. I need you to get here at 12. And then when everybody would leave, he would keep me at 5.36. I had no idea he was making me a better television person. He would say things and things like, I would say, uh, he goes, hey, right here when you said, um, went, the word is gone. Uh, right here when you say, got, you can say received. When he would give me, and I would be like, man, that's how I talk. He goes, and I'm trying to get you not to. Because he said, if you want to stay in this business, you should speak the language. Now, at first, you're thinking, what you trying to say, white man? He was saying exactly what he needed to say, and, and he was a hard ass, but I always worked well with, with coaches like that. And you know, he was whatever, but then he wind up softening later, and he wind up being the reason that I focus when I'm on television, knowing I can I can tell when you take a breath, I can ask a question. I can like Larry King. Like you do like Larry King does what you do. When you want to talk, you do this. <laughs> right? Because it stops you from moving. I do that too. So I would always want my desk if I was talking to somebody quicker. And this one guy got on stage, man, I don't know, man. So I seem kinda kinda sh- shaky, man. He kept touching me. And he, he, and that got back to me, and I go, yeah, he wouldn't shut up. And I said, when I touched him, he shut up, and that's when I learned it. So he would also tell me not to glare at the women because um, when I look at people, if I want to intimidate you, I'll look you in your eyes. If I want to look at you talking, I would look at your top lip. To him, I was glaring. It was because I was wanting to finish, or fi- I want to hear what they're saying, either to fit a joke in, 
not like if there got to be a joke there somewhere, or be able to answer. Larry King was really good at listening. Johnny Carson good at listening. Uh, Jay Leno was good at um, breaking his time down. And it, you know, I only heard about Letterman, but they said he never even looked at you. Like looked at his cards the whole time. But certain guys, when he was serious and wanted to talk, cards were gone, and it was a better conversation. So I just learned that as being a host to listen and to answer the question. So before we get into some final questions that we're going to do, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a few things. Compare the dynamics of the Hall of Fame players on every team and how they compared to how the team chemistry was. And is it possible that one person who's a superstar can throw off the chemistry of a team even if they are a championship team? No. Okay. There's no way a superstar can throw off the chemistry of a team. Uh, I tell cats this all the time. Allen Iverson can't throw off the chemistry of no, a team. No, there's one ball, right? There's one ball. Rondo didn't throw off the chemistry of No. Mm-mm. Not being a superstar. Being a superstar, let's go with that. If you're a superstar, you can't throw off the chemistry of a team. Would Rondo say he's a superstar? Rondo wouldn't say it. Okay. Yeah, he wouldn't say it. But, but – when Rondo leaves, if you're if you're in one place and you're a you're a great player in Boston, and they bring you into this system to do what you've done there, then they're bringing you to do a job. If everybody around you doesn't fill in for you doing your job, it's not you didn't destroy the chemistry. The own whoever brought you in, because you can only do what you do. So, if so you, compare your chemistries of the teams you were on, the championship teams. Isaiah was the star. Then Adrian Dantley came in, who was the two-time scoring champion. So now you got two stars on your team that are used to having all the brunt of all the, the weight of the whole team on top of them. You got one ball. Isaiah's a point guard. His job came down through with the AD. You never saw it again. So then that means the flow he would normally get into, he can't get into. Michael Jordan doesn't talk. Scottie Pippen is, is, the, is the vocal one, and it was the glue. Michael Jordan, if he got the ball, he was going to get fouled or score, one or the other. Then with the Lakers, Kobe was eight, you know, 20 years old. Any 20-year-old, he just happened to be you know, talented with putting the ball in the basket. But I tell people all the time, when they look at these guys or they look at these football players or baseball players or – tennis players they're good at placing the ball where they want the ball and they they're better at everybody else at placing the ball where it needs to be so if me i it was a trip because in college i was a scorer and when i get in the pros he goes i need you to block shots rebound and play defense he said if you want to stay in the lead and you want to stay in his team i need i need you to do that which coach said that chuck daly yeah and it was a trip, too, because in the playoffs, he said, I need you to score. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, because that's what I wanted to do anyway. So in the playoffs, I, sp- I played 10 extra minutes. And guys were like, yeah, man, but you were on the bench. I go, yeah, to start the game, but to finish the game, I wasn't. And it's not important how you start. It's how you finish in anything. Awesome. Okay, uh, I'm going to have my sons each ask you a question. Uh, What's you, the first question, Asher? You guys want to come over here, Asher, and just come here for a second? How old are you, Asher? Ten years old. How old is your brother? I'm 11 years old. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're the youngest and you got, you're the more vocal. 
Yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> What's the question? If you had to be any other player in the NBA or play at any other time or have any other ability that you didn't have, what would it be? If I could be someone else, who would I be? Or the ability? I would be Muhammad Ali. I would, I would, my, my favorite athlete of all time is Muhammad Ali. And for way more, one, he was a good boxer. He was a really good boxer. He got hit a lot, though, which is not a smart thing to do. But he mentally destroyed people, and then he was one of the people, meaning he wasn't afraid of anybody, black, white, purple, and he spoke from the heart. So I would say Muhammad Ali. Awesome. Zion, you're up. If you had, like, a chance to play more years, would you? In the NBA. Oh, great question. I would be playing now. I don't know, 50. So this is a trip. Kareem was 42. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. When he won his last, no, 41 when he won his last championship, 42 when the Pistons retired him. And I thought I was going to play to 42. And at 32 when, my, when it was hard to get out of the bed, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. There's 10 years of this stuff. To play 20 years in the NBA – if if I knew what I know now, which everyone's going to say, but if I knew about food and I knew how my body worked, that's why I try to get the young cats and I say, you can do anything to your body until you're 50. And then after 50, it will reverse. So if you take care of your body as long as you can, you hit 50, you're going to have more years of joy in your body than, than pain because the body is a car, just like a car. It's It's what gas you put in it, what wash of fluid you put in it, uh, make sure your oil is changed, uh, make sure it's clean, make sure the wheels are rotated. You know, everything has to go through if you want to keep that car in mint condition. If not, you will have a car that heads toward the dump. And that's literally what people do to their body. So if I, I started in, when I was 27 and I got into microbiotics, because Kareem and Robert Parrish were into food and into yoga. So a lot I got of people don't yoga. know what microbiotics is. So. Oh, a microbiotic is a, is a way of food, and literally it's a temperature. It's not food cooked, though. It's mostly vegetables, plant-based, but they eat fish, and they use fish fish water, fish oil sometimes. Um, that part I can do without. Um, it didn't work for the fish. I don't think it's going to work for me. Got it. But like a Rasta, a Rasta would say, me no de deras means they won't eat anything dead, but they will eat a fish the size of their hand because they believe if you can catch it in your hand, you can eat it. But I believe if you can catch it in your hand, you should be able to grab it and eat it raw, just like, uh, a, just like a bear or a tiger. Isn't that what sushi is? Well, it's funny you say that. This girl, I, I help a lot of people with their health, and she started having these terrible eruptions on her face. And she went in, uh, that's another way of calling them pimples, but they're not. Pimples are different. So these eruptions are the real big ones. And when they, That means that your low intestines is telling you, it's in, it's in, it depends on the size of the face too. Um, Taya would have bumps in the middle of her head and try to put on a mask and not see me for the night, which is gonna see me all the time. She doesn't realize I watch her constantly. And I said, your low intestines are suffering. And that means you, I said, where you were hanging out at your friend's house or whatever you're eating and drinking over there that you're not eating and drinking over here, it's shown on your forehead. 
So she was drinking orange soda because I don't have it in my house. So she was killing it because it wasn't in my house. Yeah, and we it don't, shows we up don't on have, her head. We don't have soda either. Right. Shows up on her head. So uh, I said to her, from the looks of it, you're 35 years old. I said, those are parasites. That's what the big white ones are. Those are parasites. And she was like, I don't have parasites. I go, well, most people, 50 million people have parasites just alone in this country. And if you go to India and you drink the water, you get deli belly. Those are parasites. That means they have more parasites in the water and they attack your gut. So I put her on a on a parasite cleanse and would only drink water. And one of the first videos I sent her said, soon as you eat, soon as you eat a piece of sushi, raw fish, eggs are released in your low intestines immediately. So tapeworms can live in your stomach for 35 years, but that's the build of it is raw fish. Just thought out. And there's like literally there's a flesh eating parasite too. So people eat it and they stay slim. They don't realize they're eating, being eaten from the inside out. Wow. And enjoy your sushi. Interesting. You can kill it. You can kill it though. Let me tell you how you can kill it if you're going to eat it. You can go, you can't go to shop image. You can buy ultra uh, violet light and run it over. And if, this is a trip because I get people to stop eating it all the time. Soon as you run it over, you'll see something come out of your sushi because it comes toward the light, but it dies because the UV light in the ultraviolet kills it. But you can enjoy your sushi. All right. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention Great some movie. names. And uh, you're going to tell me anything you want to tell me about them. It could be Go the ahead. quickest thing. could be a story. could be anything that comes to your mind. All right. This is a setup, but go ahead. Derek Fisher. One of the greatest teammates I've ever had. He's he's six two, but he should be in like a six eight, six nine body. Uh muscles everywhere. The kid is unbelievable. You know what you were, the joke you were gonna make? That's the guy you want to be built like. Period. He was un it was un it was I, I couldn't believe that this guy was that height. And it was he was so amazing because Phil Jackson does not like small guards. Loved Eric Fisher. Took him about four years, but he fell in love with him. Chuck Daly. Uh my favorite uh coach in the NBA was was Chuck Daly and I learned everything and he said I had great mental health, meaning when Bill Lambert made a mistake, he came to the end of the bench and yelled at me, and I nodded. And everybody was like, why are you yelling at you? You're not even in the game. I go, because he can't yell at Bill. <laughs> <laughs> like, Bill's sensitive. Uh, and he would threaten me, saying he was going to trade me to Milwaukee because he knew I did not like playing in Milwaukee. <laughs> Great guy. Oh, my God. Kobe Bryant. Um, Black Mamba. I think he is uh, too bad for him. I would have never gone on television and apologized for anything I've done in my life, period. Uh, and But I think he is probably the hardest working guy I've seen because he, I asked him why he came out of high school. Like, why didn't you go to college? Like, that would have you would have killed in college. He goes, I heard Michael was going to retire and I didn't want to come into the lead and not play against him. I said, you didn't play well. He said, but I played against him. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that was it. I like, I love, I, I knew about Vanessa before everybody else did. Um, How did you know about it before everybody else? We, he pointed it out and he called it discretion. I told him, you know, one thing we would talk about is discretion. And uh, 
it's always good that you can be whoever you want, but you should be discreet. How would you have handled that situation? Which one? The mm-hmm. the one in Colorado? Um, I would have brought my own lunch. If you're flying private, you don't need to pick up anybody working behind the desk for minimum wage. You could with that amount of power, you can you can fly the best in. What size <laughs> carrot ring would you have bought your wife? Uh I I, I, my apology would have been enough to her, and uh, buying every time she looks at the ring, she got to think about it. That was that was that was the problem. It's like building a monument of this was my biggest f you. So don't give her a monument of that. That's fascinating. Also, bring your own lunch. I like that. Bring your own lunch if you got to have it. Bring your own lunch. Isaiah Thomas. Uh, Zeke. Uh, probably um, my f- favorite, second favorite teammate. Brian Shaw is my favorite teammate, uh, but but Zeke taught me a lot. I still he's the only Piston I still talk to. Like I call Zeke and talk to Zeke. Dennis Rodman. Um, wow, D Rodman. He's kind of lost now, and I feel sorry for him that um. He has his, like, he's an addicted to something. Uh, I love Dennis, though. Dennis used to tell me he loved me too much, uh, which I never understood. How could you love John Sally too much? It's, it's <laughs> so much to love. No. <laughs> uh, but D. Rodman, man, we, we came in together. We were roommates. Um, I thought the North Korea trip was a great trip if it would have ended in South Korea, if it was started in South Korea, ended in South Korea. I think somebody should have told him it's not all one career. Um, but I think he has become, I'm not, I'm going to say icon, but sometimes for the wrong things. Shaquille O'Neal. Big, the, the, the big, the big Huey. He was uh, probably the most talented big man I've ever played with. Uh, he has a guy about, Five one inside of his chest, controlling that seven two body, because he can rap, he can break dance, he can lock, pop lock, he uh, write poetry. Um, when put in the right position, he can act. Uh, it was really giving, like like too much. I thought he he gives to everybody. You know, when you're a comedian and you 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 see the lineup of comedians yeah. on on the show, and you're like. In your mind, you're like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to follow that guy. I don't. Right. I, I, I don't want to go on after that guy. Let me go on before that guy. When you're in the NBA, are there certain players that you just look on the calendar and you're like, I got no fucking shot against this guy. Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon is the only player that I would go to sleep early. I was not hanging out the night before we played Akeem. You just and it, it wasn't that hanging out like not hanging out was going to make me more rested. It's just that there was no reason to do anything else but think about Akeem. Uh, that was it. Larry Bird, the M- we used to believe that the NBA was, you know, until Michael came in the lead. Uh, when we were Pistons, you, it was five on five anytime else until you play against Michael and was five on eight, uh, maybe even ten because the commissioner it was on his side too. Uh, but Larry Bird, was Larry Bird, Dennis is the best defender I've ever seen in my life, and Larry gave him 39. (laughs) (laughs) 
39 and dunked on him. <laughs> and Larry doesn't dunk on anybody. <laughs> so he did that because, you know, he was saying, so Larry Bird probably was, but I could hang out in Boston. I, will, I thought I was going to be a Celtic anyway. I thought I was going to live in Boston. I had girlfriends in Boston before I got to the league. I, I was so ready. And when I got and he didn't pick me, man. I was still, and it was race riots too. I'm still hanging out. I was friends with Patrick Ewan since 1980, 81. So I was up in Boston. I just knew I was going to live in Boston. I thought I thought that was going to be the place, and I was going to retire in Boston. For those of you who know, Patrick Ewing went to Cambridge Ringe in Latin yes. High School. Yeah, I was up there. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Scotty Pippen. The best play, uh, the best player in the NBA. He was he was he's Phil Jackson's favorite player, and he was my favorite player. When like you say the best it. player, the best all around player. Yeah, without Scotty, Michael doesn't win. Without Scotty, Michael doesn't win. And I and I and I've it's so crazy. And what my, what I mean by that is. They had everybody else they needed. They had jumpers. They had big men who were like, wasn't that agile. Um, Michael had this, I just watched today when Michael scored 49 on the Pistons the year before I got there. Um, he scored 62 the year I got there. But the year before I got there, he scored 49 because Isaiah had sh- froze him out of the, tried to freeze him out of the All-Star game. They kept calling it a revenge game. But Michael literally had to do everything. When Scotty got on the team, Michael didn't have to do everything. You couldn't double team Michael with Scotty on the court because he was a three three point shooter and he can go to the basket and he and he had the ball in his hand sixty percent of the time. Phil Jackson, uh, the Zen master. Um, crazy story about Phil is my cousin was his housekeeper, so the only pro I ever knew of was Phil Jackson because my cousin's sister was his housekeeper. And he would give my cousins books, like he gives all the players books. And my cousin, sister, listened to Phil, took a television out of the house, and the kids only read. They never watched TV. When they got out of college, they became TV producers. Oh, (laughs) I swear to God. I was like, nah, I know we're going to suffer because they (laughs) hadn't seen anything. (laughs) They don't know anything about television. They became TV producers, I swear. But Phil... I would say, man, he's a, he's a great guy. I think he's bringing me in this year to work with some guys on health and, and how to stay healthy. Well, I mean, you think to yourself, okay, if any one of us in this room were the general manager of the Knicks yeah. this past year, do you think it's possible that the Knicks could have a worse record? Okay, so – how no. is it possible? This is why. I want to know you. how it's possible. I I, I, I got an answer. I can, you're going to answer. I already know it. I know that you know that if you were the general manager of the Knicks, they could not possibly have a worse record. Why would you want your team to have the worst record? So you can get the draft pick, so you can hire Brajingas or whatever his name is? Then what? What would the other reason be? No focus, right? So if you're building a house, you see a house, it's been built, everyone looks at it, oh, that's a house. Then don't tell you your fans snare, that you're going to win. And you snatch the house down to dirt. It's just an no, empty lot Carmelo's right now. Carmelo's still there. They didn't put it down to dirt. Right. There's still the foundation. Right. So that saves you on taxes. You just to know about <laughs> building. <laughs> you got to have four permanent walls. So they snatch it down. And now 
they've been building with the people who they know can do the triangle offense. Phil Jackson won five championships in 10 years as a Laker with the offense. He won six championships with the Bulls with the offense. Michael Jordan was not winning. Kobe did not win without the system. So if you don't have the triangle system, you don't win a championship. Now that they had guys go through it and they see where everything is and they drafted and traded to get a better, the Knicks are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. This year they're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. You can give me $100 now or you can give me $100 when it happens. I'd like you to give me $100 when it doesn't happen. Okay, $100 when it doesn't. All right. Okay, we got that on, on camera. No one, and this is what the funniest thing is. They, people have really sharp memories. In 1999. But I like that kid that they drafted. He reminds me of a white you. Right. That's why I know. And he went and got, uh, he went and got a kid that's already been playing. See, when you go get a pro from Europe, you don't have to wonder if they know how to take a train. You know, I mean, take a cab, order, tip, dress, uh, prepare. If you're a pro in Europe and you come here, it's the easiest thing in the world. I would rather, and I'm not against college. I'm just against college if you're an athlete that's going to be a pro. If you don't need, you shouldn't go to college. And everyone goes, oh, why would you say that to somebody? I said, well, my daughter put it best. If I'm an athlete, I miss my college experience. You don't, you're not learning anything. They don't really care. You, th- you think the University of Alabama cares if their players go to, they can say it. They don't care. You're there to play football. That's it. And that's your job. Your job in college is to play a sport. And when so you lose your college, you you lose your college by playing sports. But if you're gonna be a pro basketball player, I would send you to Europe. Learn you go there and get beat on by these big Europeans for three and four years. When you come back here, they don't have to ask you if you know how to do this drill. They don't have to ask you if they don't have to tell you to stay late to shoot a hundred foul shots. They don't have to tell you to come into camp in shape. You learn how to do that. But when you're in college, you still sit around, you eat bad food, you eat popcorn, you try to talk to a girl, you know, you do all this stuff that you try to do regular stuff, but it's not going to help you in your college career, in your pro career. Got it. Last three short questions. Your proudest moment in your career? Getting drafted. Okay. Getting drafted. That, that was, was eleven. That, that was eleven. Yeah, because um, I, I say this when you talked about people, uh, when you do something, if you don't do your job, there's a thousand people out the door waiting to do your job. There's nine hundred nine hundred ninety nine thousand people because there's one every American. There's one NBA player to every one million Americans. So the chance of being in the NBA is one in a million. So when the guy squandered that away and smoke it away and drink it away and fight it away and rape it away, they're idiots because you don't – it's one in a million. And I think that's why I didn't get high or smoke or do anything because I knew how valuable that was to be in that position. And I knew it, it was fleeting. Life is fleeting, but it's even, even faster to be a professional athlete. I knew it. Your biggest disappointment in your career and how you used it to turn it around and fuel it to more successes. My biggest disappointment in which which career? Besides this podcast. 
<laughs> you mean the lowest point of my life? No. The the lowest point of your uh, basketball or other career? Whatever you see is something that could our audience could. The lowest take point of us. my career was when I had a late night talk show with Buena Vista, Disney, and we we covered the entire country. I got seventy nine percent of the country it was going to be syndicated. I was making fifteen million dollars a year in nineteen ninety two which Letterman and those guys just started making in the late 90s. I had a great deal. That's what it would have come out to if we lasted. And when they canceled it and decided to go with Keenan, I went into a state of depression. Uh, and then I got put on um, Malcolm and Eddie, which put me in a further depression. No, uh, I, w- <laughs> I was on Malcolm and Eddie. Malcolm and Eddie, the sitcom, sitcom with Eddie Griffin and Malcolm Jamal Warner, of course. Jeff Franklin producing. Jeff Franklin produced Still it. Still my who, good friend. Who uh, That went 100 episodes, too. So Jeff Franklin probably has four shows that have gone 100 episodes. He created Full House yep. and uh, uh, many, many other shows. And I... Well, I got that sitcom, and then right after that, I got, I can't believe you said that on Fox Family Channel, and I literally turned, I said, you know what the deal is? I'm 32 years old. I don't know enough. So I started reading more and going to comedy joints and doing everything I could to enhance my game. Last question. What advice would you give? Oh, you almost. Last question. What advice would you have for the young person who's, growing up in the projects or wherever they're growing up all across this country and they have a dollar and a dream and they have a thought process of something they want to do to get to that point where they can have the kind of career that you've had what what advice would you give to them if you're an american american you can do whatever you want as an american we have no poverty there's no poverty in america there's no that's that's a bunch of malarkey. There's no positive. I've been to India. And if you got a dollar, you're probably one of the richest people in India. So if you think you got it bad and you sit around and start feeling sad for yourself or what you don't have and why you got to do it, you're, you're, you're lazy, you're uh, egotistical, and you should be smacked a couple of times to make you wake up to realize you have a wonderful life to live in this country in any position. I've been to every ghetto in this country. It is 150 times better in the ghetto here than in the regular part of India, the regular part of Africa. So when you come around and you say that, I'll take you to Soweto, I'll take you to the favelas in, in, in Brazil I've been to, I'll take you to Cuba, where I've been, I'll take you to Haiti. You, we don't have it bad, we have it really good. The fact that we're sitting in this room right now and none of us are sweating because we have air conditioning, so without us paying attention, and the fact that we got trees. Like I, I laughed when I got here and I saw all these gangbangers and I go, how are you gonna gangbang and you got palm trees on your street? <laughs> and I said, how do you do a drive-by? How do the fact that you have a car, like the, the, the thought process that you have a car is amazing. So to think that we don't have it is a bunch of bull. We we are the most blessed country, and the people in this country should be kissing each other and hugging each other every day. Even if you think you have it tough, we don't have it bad. So you need to literally stop paying attention to your sorrow and pay attention to your great.
greatness. Awesome. John Sally. Dot mm-hmm. com. <laughs> John, you have been <laughs> epic today. Just Thank so you, fantastic. I've had such a great Thanks for letting here. me bring my daughter. Oh, so great. I'm so grateful you came. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You were really, really amazing. This was a really inspirational podcast. I'm so glad you came. You answered the you, tough man. questions. I love you too. No interracial kiss, but we had a. <laughs> it was good. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank our sponsor at Global Cash Card for free paperless payroll, saving your company thousands of dollars at globalcashcard.com. And as promised, our friends there are giving away $100 to a lucky winner who listens to this podcast from the iTunes comment review industry standard page. I will flick my magic mouse here, and we will figure out who's going to win this week. All right. This is from one person's opinion, May 16, 2015. Quote, nobody does it better. Five stars. Thank you so much. Uh, It reads, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you want to be in, around, or close to show business? Well, subscribe and listen to this podcast in capital letters. BK Books guests who are major executives, agents, and well-known performers, many of which he's had business dealings with. Barry gets them to talk about their experiences getting to and maintaining their current position as successful players. He gets them to talk about their triumphs and missteps along the way. For me, learning about their gaffes and setbacks is so vital to one story, and Barry knows that. Barry also has a deep-seated passion for the subject matter, and these are people he respects immensely. His show is a crazy pre-taped open with a series of tightly edited funny sound bites. One sound bite is from Tracy Morgan, who for me sums it up, quote, You want to be successful in show business? Get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz, unquote. Folks, this is as close as most of us will get to BK, and it's all good. Thank you so much, one person's opinion. You just won a $100 gift card to Global Cash Card. I appreciate it. All right. (laughs) And as always, this has been another episode of Industry Standard. And if you like the show, please tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show... Tell Tell all all your friends. friends. (laughs) Ah, you got to know comedy. (laughs) (laughs) They say it's the glory. I'll scream your name. Put you on shoulders. Walk you to fame. You'll get all the money. Drive that fancy car. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Fortune 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.